Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Atlanta musicians unite to perform a benefit concert for Ukraine on Friday at First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta. Organist Jens Kornderfer is director of worship and the arts. Later in the hour, he joins us with Natalia Perulo, a Ukrainian-born member of First Press, to talk about the program, which features Ukrainian folk music along with traditional classical works. Plus, speaking of the arts, our series of local artists in their own words today features the animator, muralist, and illustrator Drew Border. First, what does it mean to be human in a digital world? That question is the focus of the new exhibition at Georgia Tech, Extension of Self. Curator Bernie Robert is using art to promote STEM accessibility in a new show on view through October 14th, with the promise of another next year. Bernie Robert joins me now via Zoom with Nora Howell, one of the featured artists and a professor in the School of Literature, Media, and Communication at Georgia Tech. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, thank you for having us. Bernie, what inspired this exhibition? So this exhibit, Extension of Self, What It Means to Be Human in a Digital World, was really inspired when I read a quote in one of Sherry Turkle's books of what makes an object evocative and things we think with. And reading a quote she wrote about a woman not knowing where her laptop began and she left off. So that got me thinking about our cell phones and thinking about, you know, how many numbers do you have memorized? Do you use GPS when you drive around? What about all the photos that cell phones hold? And just thinking of 
this digital technology as an extension of ourselves and kind of like our second brain. However, we do realize their objectivity when their battery dies or we have to check them at TSA. And so thinking about how do we look at our identity with technology throughout time, and especially now in the 21st century. And so that was the prompt to all these six artists working at the intersection of art, science, technology, and accessibility. And realizing that there's so much great digital technology out there with assistive technology and medical technology. However, there are also harmful developments in digital technology, such as surveillance or reducing us to various data points that are gathered on us based on our search history that might promote normative behaviors, which might not fit into our complexities and our multiplicities of self. This exhibit really focuses on our complexity and our multiplicity of self. Now, you completed a master's degree in museum anthropology at Georgia State. Is museum anthropology a new discipline? Museum anthropology has always been around. However, this is a new concentration within the anthropology department at Georgia State. And it is a fabulous program if anyone is interested. It really kind of goes through the anthropology of museums from the beginning of when anthropologists would go and take things from other cultures and then put them on display in various museums. And But museums today are really um, focused on decolonization of their collections. And so this is really, I focused in on this program, looking at museums and the design of museum exhibits from the wall text all the way to the artwork or the artifact on display. And looking at how museums play into community engagement practices, such as we see in applied anthropology, as well as their responsibility to be inclusive and accessible spaces for the public to go to. Nora, you are one of the featured artists in this exhibition. What can you tell us about your installation The Heart Sounds Bench. The Heart Sounds Bench amplifies the live, unfiltered heart sounds of people sitting on the bench. One or two people can sit on the bench and feel the sounds from their hearts vibrating out of the bench and into the surrounding environment. The unique rhythms of one person's heart beating or of two hearts blending together. So it responds to the theme of the exhibit, Extension of Self, because people can feel their own heart sounds coming from their chest and extending out of themselves through the vibrations of the bench and through vibration and sound back into the broader environment surrounding them. I was reading of a little bit about your work and you propose life affirmation as an alternative goal for biosensory data in public space. And you've said, Affirming our shared existence and living in public space is an important part of the experience of city living. What 
are some moments of life affirmation in city living? I think this feeling of shared vitality in public space, in city living, is one of the joys of public space that needs to be preserved and cherished. Sharing public space with strangers, respectfully being in a common public square or a noisy marketplace or a bustling sidewalk. I think other small moments of affirmation can occur in public space. It's Of course, it's not equally distributed. It depends on social position, social privilege. But for instance, the public bench, the humble public bench is so inspiring to me. It affirms the needs of passerby to sit and rest. You can watch the world go by. You can engage with people on a peer-to-peer level. And hearing that heartbeat is a literal reminder of the vitality, the humanity of being seated there next to someone else. Is this aspect of your work and this artwork a reaction to the impersonality of life online? Yes, it is a reaction to the kind of disembodiment and impersonal feeling of data collected about us online. It is also a reaction to emerging trends in biosensory data or bodily data, data about our bodies and behaviors that is collected online and it's also collected through wearable devices such as Fitbit or other personal trackers and through emerging surveillance technologies. Bernie, Georgia Tech is famous for its prestigious science and technology programs. How are you working to improve STEM, that is science, technology, engineering, and math, to improve STEM accessibility through the arts? Yes, here at Georgia Tech, we have some amazing research going on within um, the classrooms and the labs. And so the hope for this exhibit is to bring that research that's going in the lab space out into a public space where people can interact with it through the vehicle of art. So there are blurred lines between disciplines now with art, science, and technology, and making those disciplines more accessible to Georgia Tech and Atlanta community is the goal of this exhibit. And um, this exhibit is an alternative form to the published paper or the traditional lecture hall here at Georgia Tech. And it Um, uses art to communicate and possibly demystify the science and technology in accessible ways. It also uses science and technology to communicate and possibly demystify conceptual art to a scientific community. So if we can bring this to more of the community, then people can come into a space and have a conversation and critically analyze some of the research that's going on. And there are so many artists that are working at this intersection of science and technology, as well as researchers. And I think that this would be a great initiative for Georgia Tech to build a permanent space and maybe a residency program for work at this innovative intersection. 
And art tends to be visually dominant and roped off. And this exhibit goes beyond that by offering tactile art, sound art, and haptics uh, with Nora Howell's um, Heart Sounds Bench. So when curating this exhibit, accessibility is always at the focus. And this exhibit was also reviewed by the state of Georgia ADA's uh, coordinator's office. And we have a braille booklet that goes along with it, as well as one of our artists, Dr. Ashutosh Dekney here at Georgia Tech, took it upon himself to design and engineer a location-based audio guide for this exhibit. And so instead of a traditional museum audio guide of going in chronological order, this is based on your movements throughout the gallery, and it will describe what's in front of you, as well as go into the artist's statement. So this is an innovative tool that museums of the future could possibly use. That sounds very democratic. The, the guide depends on where the visitor is situated rather than the visitor being directed or commanded to the next space. This show is free to the public in an accessible public space at Tech. Yes, it is. And we will be open a couple of weekends to allow professionals and families to come in and experience this. And all the pieces are also accessible in their sense of their interactive quality. So these six artists have an interactive quality to their work, which makes the visitor as much a piece of the art as the art itself. So the, the art comes alive based on our interactions with the piece. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking with artist and professor Nura Howell and extension of self curator Bernie Robert. How do you get the word out to people within the community, within our city, that here is a free exhibition with all kinds of innovation they can experience? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So your show would be one of them, <laughs> as well as various word of mouth and emails and listings on various sites such as Burn Away or Creative Loafing, Arts ATL. But I know you want to attract visitors who may not be regular museum goers and to Nora's point, sharing more of that public experience of shared moments. Is there signage on the streets near campus? Yes, so we have been advertising this at various places around campus. I haven't yet gone about putting up public signage, various places in Atlanta. However, you bring up a good point about getting an audience that might not necessarily be artificianos or science and tech experts. So I really like that this is in the library, a public library here at Georgia Tech and in Atlanta. Anyone can walk in. And so... We get a lot of visitors that 
are at various intersections of disciplines or places in their life. Great. Can you briefly give us descriptions of the other works on view, a little bit about the other artists whose works are on view? Yes. So the other artists, we have six and four are Atlanta-based artists and two are Georgia Tech professors and artists as well. And so we have Dr. Ashutosh Dekney working in the College of Computing and his work called Tech My Moves uses ultra wideband wireless technology to gauge our movements and location through the space without the internet and without cameras, so privacy is ensured, and it creates this visual imagery based on our movements. And this work came out of COVID when he was in lockdown, when we were all in lockdown and wanting to be inspired to move around and also thinking about how our environments and our spaces are a reflection of our identities and extension of ourselves. And what if the art could interact with us and change and inspire us to move around? So that's Tech My Moves. And then we have Emma Shama's work, and she is working in wearables, kind of the lo-fi wearables. So really bringing awareness to textiles and the handmade in a time where everything's mass produced and, are, and we're optimized to work as fast as we can and get as much done, kind of slow you down to the handmade quality. Her pieces are called Diagrams of a Body in Space 2. Diagrams of Body in Space 1 are actually exhibited at Mint Gallery. And she also has an exhibit up at White Space. And her work brings awareness to the body in space with these wearables that you put on for a certain amount of time to maybe soothe you or to help you with a certain habit or a compulsion that you might have, such as nail biting, which um, is called onychophagia is the medical term, where she makes this beautiful embroidered glove that you could wear to embrace all your qualities versus trying to fix them and to bring awareness to them. So there are pieces that you can actually try on. So that is the tactile component too of this exhibit. Our next artist, Chanel Anjali, is also an Atlanta-based artist, and she has an exhibit up at Zucott Gallery in Castleberry Hill. And her work, she sourced three images of individuals from the Library of Congress. And these individuals don't have any name or story associated with them when she sourced them. And so she's really giving them a new sense of life and identity through these three paintings that she collages them onto. And she's also working with her heritage of Caribbean descent. And so she has these beautiful flowers and birds collaged onto these images of these people, which plays into the layers of our identity. And she also has this reflective quality in her painting. So you can see yourself and be in relationship with these individuals, as well as there are LED light diodes that poke through the panels and are voice activated. So when we speak to them, um, they kind of speak back. And she's making a comment on how we can't be 
reduced to data points in our search history and looking at how history is told by certain individuals and others are left out and looking at the digital divide that was really exposed during COVID with not everyone having access to broadband internet or computers and cell phones. And then we have Boyana Ginn, who is also an Atlanta-based artist, and she was a former medical doctor from Serbia. And then she came here and went to SCAD for sculpture. And her work is at the intersection of the virtual, the physical, the natural worlds and trying to create, it's a beautiful immersive installation using the ancient technology of sheep's wool, which used to keep us warm. And so it was an extension of ourselves with the clothes we wear, juxtaposed by the digital and the virtual. She has a VR headset and she has these projection mapping uh, drawings of hers projected onto the walls. And her piece is called Science of Happiness. And she is trying to create a space that is accessible to the public to come in and take a moment and rest and try to enhance our mental well being. This piece came out of COVID, too, really seeing all the social injustice and not everyone having access to health care. And so she's really creating a space that someone can come and rest. And it's a beautiful installation. She's hacking sound, light, color, fibers to try to find their healing properties and creating this space based on all that. And then after Nora Howell, we have Eve Brown, which is also a three-dimensional installation. And on the outside are warped images of social media posts and line drawings. And the inside is of her bed. And she was bed bound for about a year with a head injury and Lyme disease. And so social media was this powerful tool for communicating her experience to friends and family and the outside and the public and creating community. However, she found it very hard to communicate her experience in such a two-dimensional field. She couldn't get her full experience across. And so these warped images of social media kind of show how this two-dimensional field was lacking for her communication. And so she also adds this audio too, to talk about her experience. So her installation is really giving this vivid, immersive experience to her experience. And I think it's interesting because within her piece, you can see the outside of the fabric and the images of the social media from the inside of her images of the bedroom. However, you can't see the inside from the outside. And I think that works with how you know, even when we're in our private space, we're still in public performing our identity on social media or looking at the news. And so we're always bombarded by these public platforms, even when we're in private. Curator Bernie Robert with artist and Professor Nora Howell, extension of self, what it means to be human in a digital world, is on view at Georgia Tech's Price Gilbert Library Gallery through October 14th. 
There will be an artist talk this Thursday at 4 p.m. More information is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, we'll hear about an upcoming benefit concert for Ukraine this Friday at First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. In the nearly seven months since Russia invaded Ukraine, at least 12 million people have fled their homes in Ukraine seeking refuge from a senseless war. Several Atlanta music organizations have come together to create a benefit concert for Ukraine on Friday, September 16th, at First Presbyterian Church in Midtown. Joining me now via Zoom to talk more about the event are organist Jens Korndorfer, Director of Worship and the Arts, and Natalia Perullo, a member of First Presbyterian Church Congregation. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you, Lois. It's good to be with you again. It's a pleasure. Jens, when did you decide to put together this concert at First Press? Well, actually, it was, I think, back in April that a former choir member of ours who's from Ukraine reached out to me and asked if we would be interested in hosting a benefit concert for Ukraine. And back at that time, we were kind of wrapping up our season. And I thought, uh, rather than adding something to the, you know, the last concerts that we had, it would be better to wait until the beginning of our fall season, of our next season in September, and kick off our concert series with a benefit concert for Ukraine. Now, to be perfectly honest, I actually was hoping, and I think many others as well, that by that time, the war would be over. Mm. We would collect donations to rebuild Ukraine. And now, as we all know, the war is still going on. So I think what we are doing next week is more pertinent than ever. And, and so I'm very excited about all the musicians that I've contacted and who very enthusiastically said yes to join us in raising support for Ukraine. What groups will perform at this concert? So we have a great variety of performers. The concert will open by the Georgia State University Singers, the top choir of Georgia State University, conducted by Dr. Diana Joseph. Then we will have the Vega String Quartet, Emery's Quartet in Residence. They have been guests at First Presbyterian many times. They're an amazing group. We will have the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra's Brass Quintet, 
we're going to contribute a couple of really amazing arrangements of Ukrainian and American music. And then we will have a bandura player, which is a traditional Ukrainian instrument. It's actually a Ukrainian who's going to play that, who has played, I think, in, in quite a lot of benefit concerts here in the area. And then finally, we will also have one of my students, Victoria Sholkova, who's going to play. And she's actually from Russia. And I remember when this invasion happened, the Russian invasion, she came to me and said she wants to do something. She wants to help Ukraine. She wants to show that not everybody in Russia agrees with what Putin is doing. And so when I started planning this concert, she was actually one of the first ones I reached out to. And I said, would you like to play? And she said yes immediately because she wants to show that she wants to help Ukraine. Yeah, solidarity. Would you tell us some highlights of the program? Yeah. So the, the Georgia State University singers are going to, among other things, perform a St Stephen Foster's Hard Times Come Again No More, which was a very popular song in the 19th century. And the topic of this song is actually that the, the song asks those that are fortunate to consider the plight of the less fortunate. So I think it's very appropriate given the, the topic of this concert. Then the Vega String Quartet is going to play Beethoven's Quartet in F minor, Opus 9050, a very robust and, and stirring piece, two movements from this amazing work. The Brass Quintet is going to play Prokofiev, who actually was born in Ukraine, The Dance of the Nights from Romeo and Juliet, and then a fantasy on the Ukrainian folk song, Shtelik, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, I think Natalia can help me with that. There's also a very nice story about that song. So I don't know, Natalia, if you want to share that story behind that song. So it's pronounced Chadrik, and the it's about the swallow bird, Lastipka, it's called in Ukrainian. And so that's what the song is about. And it's just a, a symbol of hope. And, you know, my mom would always talk about every holiday, and it wasn't just on holidays, but it's just every event, everything was centered around song and singing and music. And this was just one of those songs that was full of hope and a, a symbol of hope. Natalia, were you born in Ukraine? I was. My I was born in Ukraine, and my family actually immigrated to the United States when I was three, and that was in 1990. So we immigrated as refugees, and my parents, it was my parents, and they had four children at the time, and we moved to Chicago, and that's where we grew up and they came here, I believe, with the organization uh, World Relief. And so that's how we ended up in the United States. So you, your family came in 1990. This was actually before the breakdown of the Soviet Union or just on the verge of it. Right, just on the verge. Wow. What was your reaction when you learned Russia invaded Ukraine in February? It's interesting because I feel like before then we heard on the news there was just these rumors and it was hard to tell what was true or not. And I even remember talking about it with my parents and my mom's reaction was like, no, it, it's not going to happen. Like they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. And I think a lot of people, despite the evidence or intelligence that we had that it, this was going to happen, I think a lot of people were in complete disbelief. I wasn't shocked. I thought, of course, of course this is happening. But immediately we we still have family in Ukraine and most of our family is on the West Coast. And we reached out to them and offered support, offered to host them, offered to help them in any way 
and um, our family has not left yet. They are all there and we've been supporting them as much as we could, but they are very insistent that this is home. This is where we need to be. And this is where we're needed right now. And so they're involved and all of them are involved in various ways and in the war effort. How have you found solace during this time? I think what was strange to me, I don't know if strange is the right word, but impressive to me is thinking of warfare, seeing warfare in a, in a completely new light. When we, the U.S. has been in war, I guess we've been in wars, but it's never been on the home front, at least in, you know, in my generation, I've never seen it. I've never witnessed it up close and seeing it from, you know, my cousins and my family, it's such a grassroots effort. Everybody is involved and doing everything they can. Every civilian is, you know, they're baking and cooking and, you know, getting in cars, organizing and driving food out to the east to support the troops, to support the refugees. And, you know, everybody is gathering anything they can. They'll reach out like, oh, the people in this area, they need tourniquets. Is there anybody that can get us some tourniquets? And so we're gathering. It's just such a grassroots effort. Everybody is involved and doing a little bit. And that's been really inspirational to me because it it's not just this military, it's not just this removed aspect that's working on the war, it's every civilian is working together, everybody is rolling up their sleeves. And so I think that when victory is final, it's going to be all the more sweeter, because everybody participated in it. And that's very inspirational to me. Tremendous humanity demonstrated. And, and Jens, you are showing that humanity through music. How can music unify during such times of strife and tragedy? Well, I think music is very powerful, right? It is very emotional. And I actually remember I attended back, I think it was in April as well, uh, the performance of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra of Mozart's Requiem, which was one of the first concerts that Natalie Stutzman conducted after being nominated as the new conductor in, in, for the ASO. And they also performed the Ukrainian national anthem. And I remember how powerful it was when everybody in that sold out hall stood up and you know listened or sang that, that anthem. And uh, even though I was not familiar with the words and I had heard the melody maybe once or twice, but it was just something that I really felt was a very powerful moment of everybody coming together. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do with this concert as well. Music is something it's wonderful to just listen to it for, you know, to enjoy beautiful music, but it can do more. And in this case, this is music with a cause. We're trying to, you know, help those people that are desperately in need of, of so many things that we take for granted here in the US and that they don't have in Ukraine anymore. You know, the, the certainty that Natalia was talking about that we have in our daily lives that is gone for so many people in Ukraine. And so I think this is something where music, we can do more than just making beautiful, you know, melodies and, and having people good, having a good time, but we can really try to show that music is there to help the greater good, in this case, to help the people of Ukraine.
And what organizations will benefit from the donations at this concert? Donations are going to go to the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, 100% of them. That is an organization of the PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church of USA, of which First Presbyterian Church is part of. And they immediately after invasion, the invasion of Russia and Ukraine, they started to set up a response platform to that invasion to help people on the ground. And PCUSA, or rather the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, is partnering with organizations in the area to help refugees in transit and also refugees who have crossed the border to provide them with basic needs like food, hygiene items, portable water and baby supplies and all of those very important things. And, and to that end, they're working with local and regional partners in Ukraine, but also in the neighboring countries. Oh. Organist Jens Korndorfer and First Presbyterian Church member Natalia Perulo, the benefit concert for Ukraine is this Friday, September 16th, at First Presbyterian Church in Midtown. More information is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, star skaters Gucci Mame and Switchblade Susie share their excitement for Atlanta Roller Derby. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. The sport of roller derby has undergone many transformations over its almost 90-year existence. At one point, it was seemingly staged entertainment akin to professional wrestling. But since its revival in the early 2000s, the sport has become a showcase for serious athletic abilities. Recently, City Light senior producer Kim Drobes caught up with two of our city's star skaters, Anna Benbrook, a.k.a. Gucci Mame, and Lisa Scherer, a.k.a. Switchblade Susie. Anna began explaining exactly what roller derby is. So roller derby itself, it is a high intensity, full contact sport on four wheels. Um, you have a group of five people from each team that are just skating through, trying to get points, trying to avoid getting hit, trying to get hit. It's kind of complex the first time that you come and watch it. It might be a little confusing, unlike any sport that you've ever seen before. But once you once you watch it, it you pick it up easily. It's just a really fun, really exciting, invigorating sport to watch just these strong individuals going through and scoring points and making excitement for the fans. Lisa, you've been skating with the team for how many years now? So Atlanta Roller Derby, as it is, started, I think, in 2006, and I began skating with them in 2007, so the second year after they started. So it's been over 15 years. Uh, I haven't skated the whole time. I did take kind of a break, and I was helping coach, and I was still part of the league. But yeah, I've been involved with this league for 15 years. I have to say one of the greatest things I've ever done. 
That's wonderful. And was it a hard reach to start? Were you already a skater or did you learn for Derby? You know, I actually grew up as a rink rat. So I had been a a speed skater and an art skater, which is basically like um, dance skating on quads as a child. But there was a long break, of course, um, when I was growing up that I did not skate. And when I came back, it was very similar to getting back on a bike. It took a hot second, but Hmm. it came pretty naturally after that. Yeah, I'm the complete opposite. Uh, I learned how to roller skate playing roller derby. I had never skated before in my life. And I just saw this really cool sport that I wanted to join. And it was like a baby giraffe running into walls to stop (laughs) and just having people kind of help me through it all. So roller derby helped me learn how to skate and how to play the sport as a whole. She's an amazing skater now, by the way. That's so cool. And so, Anna, did you go as a spectator to see Derby and get intrigued, or did you have friends that were skating? Sort of, a little bit of both. Um, I actually had a friend of mine from elementary school go to a roller derby game in Kansas City, Missouri, and she called me one day and was like, this is the coolest thing ever. It reminded (laughs) me of everything that you love to do, because I grew up playing a lot of sports. Um, and just being very competitive and athletic as a kid. And, and I happened to see a flyer in my community advertising an event. And it just kind of all put two and two together and went and checked it out and said, okay, I'm going to do this. So it used to, as mentioned in the intro, be a little more over the top fishnets, mascara, let's just put on a show for everyone. And now much more of a serious sport, but there is still a very high entertainment value to it, right? Yeah, I would say over the course of all these years, we have definitely turned around from being a show to being real athletes that care about our sport and want to get better. And, you know, someday we hope to be in maybe the X Games or something like people, we, we are really serious about this fun sport that we do. Um, In the beginning, it was a lot of fishnets and makeup and kind of a show. We had a penalty wheel at some point where you would get some sort of weird issue if you got a penalty all that stuff is gone it's now like about the skaters about the sport um there are still a few kitschy things like our as you heard our names for instance um we still you know have some fun with it the team names are fun but in general we all take it pretty seriously as a sport now yeah actually it was under consideration for the 2020 summer olympics so it's, it's gone a pretty good distance since it started in the early ages. Yeah, no doubt. And so do you think it'll be up for the Olympics in the future? Yeah, that's the hope for sure. Fantastic. So when someone goes to a bout, can you describe the atmosphere? The atmosphere of a bout is, it's a lot of fun. The bouts that we have here in Atlanta, it's family friendly. We have vendors, we have halftime performances. We typically do a double header. So we'll have one game, and then we'll have kind of a break in the middle for people to, you know, get food, go to the vendors, whatever the case is, and then our second game. And during that middle time frame, we usually have local entertainment, musicians. Um, we've had like dance performances. Um, we just try to tap in with our local community and provide them a space to just show who they are and what they're doing. So it's it's a whole to-do for a lot of people. We have our bouts at Shriners off of Pont, so it's like a smaller space, very intimate And it's just, it's so exciting. It's invigorating people cheering for different teams and for different players. And it's just, it's the full to do. So let's get back to how the game is actually played. You said that there are five people from each team. One of them has a star on their helmet. Can you explain who that person is in relationship to the game? 
Yeah, the person that has a star on their helmet is known as the jammer. Uh, that person is typically the point scorer. So that's the one that you want to watch to see how the points are being scored. And we skate in a counterclockwise direction around the track. The rest of the players are known as the blockers. They don't have any stars on their helmets, just the regular helmets. And those are the individuals who are trying to hinder the opposing jammer from getting through and from getting their points. So you guys are playing offense and defense at the same time. Yep, exactly. And, you know, we've mentioned that it's a full contact sport. It is pretty aggressive. What type of protection are you guys wearing? We are fully protected. We have a helmet. We have mouth guards, elbow pads, wrist guards, knee pads. Um, Some individuals even choose to wear like padding around their hips or wear shin guards or any additional protection, but that's not required. And have either of y'all ever suffered an injury in play? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, I broke my wrist not too long ago. I was jumping in the air and somebody hit me while I was in air. So I landed really awkwardly, broke my wrist. I continued the game though. And I actually won MVP that game. So pushed through with the pain found out that it was broken the next week. Oh my, Lisa. Many years ago, I did uh, sprain my uh, MCL. And so I was off, I was on crutches for about six weeks, but that fully healed. And then a few years back, I dislocated my elbow and essentially broke it, but we didn't need to do surgery. So I didn't have an arm for (laughs) eight weeks or so. But generally we're pretty safe. We don't get a ton (laughs) of (laughs) injuries. But they do happen. It is a like like we said, it's a full contact sport and we do everything we can to stay safe. But from time to time, you'll see an injury just like you do in any other sport. Very true. I've been playing since 2013 and I've only ever had one broken bone. So yeah, not Not too bad. bad. That's great. For people who want yet another reason to be intrigued to go and see about the building that you guys play in is one of the most beautiful and historic buildings in the middle of our city. Can you speak a little bit to the Shriner Temple? Yeah, so we started out at skating rinks and we would have people come there and we started looking for places that were more in Atlanta because we had started out in Stone Mountain. We wanted something more locally um, centralized. So we reached out to Shriners and they have a very large rec center behind what you would see at the front of the building with the dome and everything. Behind it, there's a large rec center that fits our track. And there's also stadium seating. And it's a great cause, of course, if you don't know about the Shriners, the Europe Shriners Center, you should look into it. They do a lot of great work for children. So it's been a great partnership. That's great. How much did you miss this for the last two years? So much. Mm, (laughs) Definitely a lot. It was really kind of my only form of exercise. So I was like, oh Lord, I need to get back on skates as soon as possible. Skaters Lisa Scherer a.k.a. Switchblade Susie, and Anna Benbrook, a.k.a. Gucci Mame, Atlanta Roller Derby's final bout of the season is Saturday, September 24th at the Yarhop Shriner Center on Ponce de Leon Avenue. More information is on our website, wabe.org. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of the Arts, where we hear some of Atlanta's creative artists in their own words. 
My name is Drew Borders. I'm 24 years old and I'm an Atlanta native. My work is very bold and bright. I end up using a lot of the same colors, lots of pinks, blues, yellows. I just want people to feel the same energy that I'm feeling when I create it. I paint murals around the city and now have one out of state. Uh, and I also like making digital illustrations and animations. That's actually what I went to school for. I paint a lot of black and brown women just because representation has always been incredibly important to me. I actually don't remember when I got started in art. I think I'd always been drawing and painting. It was always something that I thought was really fun and it was something I could do with my friends or my siblings uh, after school and I started to do it so often that I guess I showed a little bit of improvement in that area. I think I've always been inspired by a desire for representation. Uh, I know how bad of an impact it can have on your self-esteem when you don't see people who look like you or your family members in the media, so I wanted to change that. I'm also heavily inspired by anime. I watched a lot of it growing up with my siblings. We had a lot of those how-to drawing books, uh, and I was obsessed with big hair and big eyes. And I've kind of kept that theme in all of my work. I was born in Atlanta and I've lived here all my life, um, except for when I went to art school. I went to SCAD in Savannah. But before that, I had a very limited idea of what art was. I only really thought about drawing and painting, but I wasn't really aware of other careers. I knew they existed, but it hadn't occurred to me to really look into them. And then when I was in that environment in art school, surrounded by other creatives, it was very easy to be inspired and I guess open my mind a little bit to different possibilities. So when I came back to Atlanta after I graduated, I was a lot more observant of everything. The street art here, the general culture here, the way that we interact and have similar experiences it definitely became something that I channeled into my art. If I want to see new or interesting art, I do feel like East Atlanta, Cabbage Town, Reynolds Town, Kirkwood, Grant Park, you know, all of these areas are definitely more accepting of public art that's very, very expressive. So I really love going over there. I also end up having a lot of friends who end up painting over there because they're also muralists as well. So I can't help but go and support and Maybe find a new treasure that I haven't seen before while I'm at it. So you can see all of my work on my Instagram, which is drewborders.art. But if you'd like to walk around the city or drive around and see the six exterior murals that I have, I have one located on the corner of James P. Brawley and MLK Drive. It's right across the street from Clark, Atlanta. I have one in Bankhead at 44 Parcells, which I believe is the new location for Bonfire ATL. I also have one at The Beacon near Grants Park, one on the side of the Real Milk and Honey in College Park, one next to Stack Lofts in Cabbage Town, and the last big project I did was actually with the Beltline. I painted Ormswood Bridge, which is located on Ormswood Avenue, and it's near Grant Park as well. artist and Atlanta native Drew Borders in our series Speaking of the Arts. 
more information about Borders' work is on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., composer Malik Jandali tells us about the Pianos for Peace Festival. Plus, City Lights producer Summer Evans catches up with former journalist and fine art photographer Tabitha Soren. Her exhibition, Surface Tension, is on view at Jackson Fine Art Gallery through December 23rd. If you missed part of today's show, you could catch up on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find our complete archive of interviews, so you can listen to City Lights on your own schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Drobes. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. Do connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.